0: Hello, and welcome to the writers and illustrators of the Future Podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment to follow it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Today's guest is Scott Dickey, the CEO of Podium Audio. First off, as to Scott. Over the past 25 years, he has become an industry-leading CEO with four consecutive successful exits across media, consumer products, event entertainment, and sports. In 2019, Scott partnered with Presidio Investors to take the helm as the CEO of Podium Audio. For those of you who haven't heard of Podium, they are probably the fastest-growing audio publisher globally with a particular emphasis on science fiction, fantasy, and romance. As to Podium, the company gained international notice for turning once unknown author Andy Weir's ebook *The Martian* into one of the most successful audiobooks in the world. Welcome, Scott.
1: Thanks, John. So nice to be
0: here. Yeah, it's great, and it was it was actually suggested to me by Michelle Cobb, the president of the Audio Publishers Association, to interview someone from Podium. So I'm very happy to be able to speak with you today. Um,
1: That's great. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle.
0: Yeah. And I'm very familiar with your products, at least with Craig Allinson and Andy Weir. I loved the Project Hail Mary with Ray Porter as the voice, but I totally am enamored with Craig Allinson's Expeditionary Force with R.C. Bray. It was just like he was made for that book or the book was made for him, whichever it was. It's just it's a perfect fit. So. Um, I met some of your staff last year at Salt Lake City FanX. Uh, You had yep. this huge booth. I was like, who are these guys? I'd never heard of you before. And then it was a huge stand, and um, they were really energetic. They were just, like, really outgoing, going. And you had these, all these games and the wheels spinning and all kinds of stuff to uh, uh, get people to attract them to find out about you. So now that I've, I've been able to connect at least two of the dots, let's start off with how did you end up taking the helm of an audio publishing house?
1: No, I, it's a great question, um, and just to backtrack, you know, RC um, you know, Bray, Bob, and and Craig, it's been a, a magical partnership between the two of them, and we're, we've just been honored to be in the middle of it. Um, I don't know if you saw, but the latest um, release of X Force called Match Game, Book Fourteen, uh, mm-hmm. launched in early June and and hit number one on Audible worldwide. So that was that was pretty exciting, but. Um, That's good yeah no, I, it's interesting. I've been in media and content and um you know very focused on on kind of the digital uh, content ecosystem and what was happening with uh, with social media and and kind of rising influencers and uh, on YouTube and social media and and I had built a business you know that was a uh, mirrored after the Netflix model and the automotive sector, and I had sold that to discovery uh, communications and I, I I left that business after a year after the sale. And I was very intrigued with what was happening in audio at the time. We had launched a podcast in in our business and uh, an off-road truck podcast that was gaining a lot of uh, acclaim. And I was fascinated with with the growth of podcasts and um, living in LA and and getting a fair amount of windshield time and traveling quite a bit. You know, I was getting into it personally myself. But the, the challenge with podcasts, I think, at times is the revenue model, right, is the monetization model. Mm-hmm. And it being ad-supported, and I just run a big business that was all advertising-driven, was all non-recurring um, ad revenue, and you're you know you're kind of only as good as your last deal, and every <laughs> January you wake up and your revenue is basically back to zero. Um, and I was fascinated with the e-commerce, um, you know, side of the equation, and that's what led me to a- audiobooks because the the model, while the storytelling is largely similar, you know, a long-form, you know, podcast is very similar to a you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a mid-form uh, audio book, but the the distribution and the monetization is very different, and I found it fascinating uh, that you know this was all DTC ecom, and it was all around people's uh, fandom and interest in uh, genre fiction, and and that's really what how Podium started, as you mentioned, and that's really you know the the core of the model today is helping those authors build those fan bases and. Uh, do the best work that we can to monetize their works, uh, both in ebook and audiobook, but, but predominantly audio.
0: That's, um, That's amazing, I understand, because it is such a um, like I said, it's, it's such a, a broad, growing industry right now with this. And what you've taken as your model is that and this is something thats to be very, uh, I think, appealing to the, to the show's listening audience. Uh, and I found this on your website, was this statement. While we do consider submissions from literary agents and managers, we're proud that the vast majority of our title acquisitions are independently published by extraordinarily talented authors through Amazon's Kindle Direct Publishing platform. That's just, like, way awesome. So how'd you end up with that as your publishing model?
1: Well, the founder, uh, Greg Lawrence, um, you know, was really... You know his passion um you know being in audio and and, and in his career and an engineer um and also a science fiction uh fan personally you know he was always culling you know through through kindle through amazon for his next best listen and he realized the opportunity to help emerging rising storytellers that were self-publishing and distributing in, inside of kindle he saw the opportunity to help them uh Recreate those works in in audio and then monetize inside of Audible and then really lift the visibility of that content and the relationship between Audible and Kindle inside of Amazon. And so we saw that as a we saw an opportunity to scale that in a much more data-driven way. Uh, Greg and his team um, did it in, in kind of a manual curation process, right? More of a an art form. And we saw the opportunity to turn it a little bit more into a science and to scale it more quickly. You know, one of the things that's really interesting about Kindle is, you know, being able to see the ranking and the trending um, Mm -hmm. both in in Audible and in Kindle. And we use those, you know, that data as a means to identify emerging IP and try to identify quickly, faster than, you know, that many other people in the industry can when they're just culling through it manually.
0: Yeah, and one thing that, too, is You've gone after and gotten an audience that these other publishers don't get or they wouldn't see for a year or two years down the road. So you're able to go in and just have everybody else pick them off, you know, and, yeah, it's, and nab it's them. Interesting.
1: I mean, there's a, hey, the indie market's hot. Um, yeah. A, it, it is taking share from traditional publishing in a very rapid, clear manner. Um, and a lot of it has to do with indies, you know, being able to disregard print and really focus on digital formats. Um, obviously, in, in Amazon, uh, in ebook and audiobook, but either even on other platforms like you know Royal Road and and distributing your work uh, on Patreon and building patrons and building fan base. There's so many ways in which storytellers can bring their own works. To you know, to light, and mm-hmm. then and then hone that craft uh, based on the feedback in the public view, um, much in the same way a you know a star on YouTube you know did ten years ago and still does today, or fifteen years ago, or in other social media platforms like Instagram or or what have you, you know the book publishing industry is is really being disrupted by the creator economy, and indie storytellers um, are the wave of the future, um, and and not only because of the self-publishing tools, but also because of the nature in which consumers are digesting content. And that's really the other big kind of game changer, if you will, um, that doesn't play in the favor of traditional publishing
0: models. Yeah, and that's, that's very observably true, but it's also, what you've got is your platform makes a resource for an aspiring writer Who's got something good? Who's got that breakout that's getting off to a um, a good start to be able to um, to see that as an outlet as well for that for his IP to be to monetarily you know realize his you know his return. Now we're gonna get around. There's I got so many different questions to ask you about this wow. thing here. So what is your what are your company objectives?
1: Well, we, we see ourselves as an author services model, author and, and narrator, voice actor, you know, services model. We're obviously skilled at, at converting the, the written word to the spoken word, but it's more than just the investment in top quality production and financing that production um, and obviously finding great narrators like, you know, like Bob Bray or Heath Miller, mm-hmm. or, you know, Andrea Parsona, or, we, you know, we can go on and on. It's also about creating a suite of services to support these authors to bring their works to life in the best possible manner. Now, in a traditional sense, you think that, you know, we're talking about editing and proofing and, you know, cover art, but in a modern sense, what we're really talking about is building fandom, right? Is building their brand and building their base of followers and infusing marketing techniques and capabilities that enable them to build momentum behind uh, the stories that, and the worlds that they're developing, particularly in serialized content where you're talking about you know, six, seven, eight, 10, 12 books in a series. And, and that's what we really bring to the table. All the, all the other pieces are easily replicated. There's no moat around high quality production there's no moat around um, relationships with top narrators, though, though I, I have to say we have a lot of them under long-term contracts, and that <laughs> helps. Um, and and there's, no, you know, there's no science to, you know, to editing and proofing. It's, a, it's an art form, and anybody can do it if you get the right people involved. But being able to build fandom and build brands around an author and the worlds that they're creating is really what leads to success, long-term success. And that's what Podium has become—you know—very skilled at delivering, and it, and it's part of that overall suite uh, in our author services model.
0: That's great. Are you are you familiar with Bookfunnel at all? Yes, I am. Yeah, I had him on a few weeks ago as as a guest, and um, he not that long ago opened up to doing audio as well as um, the eBooks and. Uh, when you talk about that, just building fandom is, I mean, that's what he's all about on, on book funnel stuff. Absolutely. So, yeah. So an author, I'm an author and I've got this book and it's, it's done okay in, or done well on, on Amazon. So what can I do to be proactive in working with Podium? How did well, I,
1: well, you know, We take submissions all the time. And, and certainly if the book is doing well, you're likely to get a phone call from us um, before you're reaching out uh, directly. You know, we've got a, a robust acquisitions team that is, you know, looking at the data on a daily basis. And, you know, we're going to publish, you know, over 1,200 titles this year alone. You know, we're the eighth largest publisher you know, in uh, in North America, audio publisher right now. And if you think about that, that's, you know, that's the big five. It's obviously Amazon, not in this particular order, but the big Five, the Amazon and then and then recorded books and we're and we're next, but we're number five in science fiction and fantasy, and by year end we'll probably be number three and we're rapidly moving up the ranks and romance as well um, so we're we've got you know an army of uh, of acquisitions talent that's looking at the best emerging storytellers throughout Kindle and a number of other uh distribution points or platforms as well, but then we also have great depth of relationships with our indie authors and, and our narrators. Mm-hmm. And so many referrals come directly from the success of the partnerships that we already have. And that's probably the best thing that I can say about our business is that we rarely lose an author. Our renewal rates are you know, 99%. And our author's are our best evangelists. They're the ones that are helping us um, find the next great talent. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one, of, that's one of the great things about the indie community is that everybody's helping each other. There's so many tricks of the trade and indie authors are constantly, you know, advising, uh, you know, new emerging entrants into the market and helping them get better. And, uh, and we're doing the same. Um, that's really our mantra and the way we think about our business.
0: That's that's great, and it's also something that is very. If a person gets out of the idea that it's a limited market space, there's no scarcity of room for the next big science fiction, fantasy, or romance author. You know, there's more and more people seem to be reading as with the advent of the e-book and of the audiobook. It's a lot. It's easier for people to consume. Um, stories, I go through a lot more now than I used to, mostly just to prepare for the next podcast. But right. uh because I won't do I won't interview an author unless I've read at least one of their books. It's just
1: Oh that's you great. Know, you
0: know, I I can't really in all fairness talk to them and have a decent interview if I don't really know what they've written and have my own opinion on it. So um I'm definitely one of those high-end consumers. Um but for the aspiring writer and that's what we do with writers of the future is Illustrates the future, but this is mostly not for writers of the future. Um, we're working on like tips and advice that can help you expand, you know, with trying to move from being it's an avocation to the vocation how to go to make something and fully uh, monetize your intellectual property so it's not just the ebook but the audiobook as well. So, how important that when an author comes to you that they're able to present with their name, Facebook. Twelve thousand followers, Twitter; fifteen thousand followers, Instagram. This, um, TikTok. That does that help on your decision? Yeah, process?
1: It, certainly it's a it's a factor, but it's very rare, you know, that we'll see an author who um, is emerging that already has, you know, a successful, you know, fan base or you know depth of a fan base. Usually, that comes over time, and uh-huh. and that's that's part of the service that you know that we like to provide, right? And is to help increase their organic, you know, followers through you know all social media handles, and we'll work really hard with them to do that because once you once you have that loyal fan base, and, and we saw it with Brandon Sanderson this summer, right, with the Kickstarter, <laughs> right, when you have that big yeah. a fan base, um, you know, you don't you can you can think about all kinds of new new and interesting ways to to distribute and package your content. So it's rare that we see somebody you know come in out of the gate with a big following. Um, mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say it's a mass, you know. It's a, it, I wouldn't say that that was a critical uh, part of the equation. Really, you know, for us, it's you know what kind of uh, traction you know the story is getting if it's already been released, and um, and then through that, you know, how good is the story? How good is the product? You know, and what are the ratings? What are the reviews? What are people saying about it? You know, in the end, it's all a, It's always about the quality of the storytelling, um, no mm-hmm. matter what. You know, there's been a lot of author marketers is what we like to, you know, refer to them as, you know, and I think those days are, you know, are largely you know, over for the mo- most part because you've got 20,000 books being published every week in Kindle. Um, and, and so the idea that you can, you know, run an ad campaign inside of, uh, you know, the Amazon ecosystem and, and lift awareness and then, and then monetization of the story, it's just not as easy as it used to be. You could do that five years ago, very successfully. You could spend against it. And a lot of folks still spend, and so do we. But we spend carefully um, and, um, and in a very targeted fashion. Um, I think the real, in, the, real, you know, the real trick is spend the time to really develop the story, have beta readers, have people give you feedback, hone that craft with, with input from people that are interested in, in, in your work. And, and keep refining it. That's the best path to ultimately getting, you know, kind of visibility and then ultimate monetization. right? The more people that are talking about your story, the more people that are, are there reviewing and rating your story, the more likely it is to bubble up and, and surface to the level mm-hmm. where it's going to be seen.
0: I get it. Now, what are the different services that Podium offers to, a writer says okay i got this story it's doing doing good i've you know like with some of our other offices where i talked about when um i think it was craig talking with him and he just put three books up and didn't know anything he had you know and then all of a sudden he started getting traction on it. he didn't really know yeah. what was happening i asked him what's your model how'd you do he says i wrote three books put them up and kind of like it started going i got a hundred dollars and i got a thousand it's like he had, he had $300 assigned in his budget, which he didn't spend. It was just kind of like, it was just, it moved so fast. So obviously, I wouldn't call him the rule in that case. He,
1: no, those are rare instances. But they, happen, they happen all the time. I mean, you yeah. know, uh, this week, one of our you know, most amazing uh, authors, uh, you know, Shirtaloon, um who's a, got a breakout smash hit you know, called He Who Fights with Monsters. It was number two this week on Audible. Um, I think it's still you know up in the you know top ten, top twenty, and that was book six. Book one was released last March, um, was the first book, um, so a little over a year ago. And then we've been releasing one a quarter, but but Chertaloon gained kind of notoriety on Royal Road, and um, by building uh, patrons and Patreon, and that's where we discovered him. And he he had built a great story that people were falling in love with, and then were buying early access to it and, and becoming patrons. And so he was monetizing, you know, a, a, a daily release cadence against that story, uh, against He Who Fights. And we went to him in partnership with Rhett Bruno at Athon, at who's, you know, become a very solid, you know, boutique publisher for indie authors. And Rhett and Steve and, and our publisher, Victoria, and myself, you know, talked to Shirteloon sure about packaging up this daily content that he was releasing on, pa- on Patreon and packaging it up into a book. Um, so part of our service there was, you know, convincing him that he could still do what he was doing in Rural Road and Patreon, but then repackage the same content and monetize it in Kindle and, and in Audible. And he's on the verge of being a New York Times, you know, best-selling author. An amazing story. Um, yeah. but, they're, but they're out there. We find them, you know, we're lucky to find these emerging hits on a regular basis, you know, on a, you know, I'd say every quarter we find another new star and, and you don't have to sell 20,000 books to be a star out of the gate. You know, if right. you can sell, if you can sell two to 5,000 out the gate, you're, you're on your way because you, you can start to really build off of a solid foundation of, you know, of three to 5,000.
0: That's, that's great. Now, what about foreign authors? Um, this podcast goes out to over 100 countries. And so there's there's a lot of people in UK, Australia, South Africa, and even throughout um, Europe and Asia who listen to this. And we've had multiple winners over the years from these countries on Writers of the Future submitting to it. So what about them? How... How do they fit into this mix because they are not necessarily well,
1: if they're publishing inside of Kindle, we'll see them if they're in inside of you know we we predominantly operate in English language. What we're about to launch our top IP into five uh, languages in Europe um, in French, Spanish, German, Italian, and Polish uh, in partnership with a tremendous publisher um, in Europe called Saga Egmont. Um, Saga is one of the leading audio publishers in Europe. And so we've partnered with them to take some of our top IP uh, into foreign languages um, in Europe. And then they've assigned some of their top IP to us to bring it uh, here in North America and in English. So we're seeing, we're signing a lot of foreign authors on a regular basis, um, whether it's, you know, you know, Asian Wuxia, you know, Jansha, Um, whether it's, you know, diverse romance, paranormal romance, lit RPG, obviously mystery thriller. We do a bit of nonfiction as well. We're seeing a lot of authors from all over the world uh, pop up and emerge inside of the Amazon ecosystem. And our ability to identify them quickly, you know, gives us an opportunity to, to pitch them on our services and then bring them into our stable. So I don't know what today, what percentage of our We've got a thousand authors under contract now, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and some of them for multiple series. I don't know what percentages are, are are U.S.-based authors. I should know that. It's more than 50%, but not dramatically more than that.
0: I get it. So then for someone who is listening to this right now, they're in U.K., they're Australia, I said South yeah. Africa, or even, you know, in Italy or in Spain or, or any other country, it's, their bets can be very much more um, covered if they are on Kindle because they're not going to otherwise have that discoverability.
1: Yeah, in, in in English for us today, but there are many uh, variations of what we're doing, obviously all over the world in in, in foreign languages. And, you know, Germany is probably the most you know f- uh, most developed in terms of um, yeah. you know the analogous model to what we're talking about here in, in in, you know, Kindle Unlimited and Audible. Um, and we're seeing the emergence of more and more indie authors in those markets because of it, because of the, the platform and the ecosystem that Amazon's developed and created for these storytellers. So, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think this is very early innings of a complete change in the way uh, stories are published and distributed. You know, right. the, the idea that you need to be anointed worthy by a literary agent or an editor in an ivory tower in Manhattan—and I'm a New Yorker, so I can say that—it's um, <laughs> just antiquated. Right. And the and the idea that you're going to wait to sim pub with a physical book that's being printed on ever more expensive paper in China. And then putting, being put on a container and stuck off the port of Long Beach because I can say that because I live in L.A. Um, it's just antiquated, and you know the way the way people are consuming stories, the way Netflix and uh, streamers have changed, um, you know, episodic delivery of content and video, and the way people binge, you know, episode after episode. Um, that's the way people want to read and listen too. They don't want to have to wait 18 months for the next physical book to show up at my specialty retailer. And I, I still buy physical books. I'm, I'm not. I'm just. I'm just telling the truth. Demographically, it's in digital formats. The cadence of the storytelling's changed, and the monetization of those digital formats is taking share from physical print. Publishers, traditional publishers, are healthy because audiobook market's growing, and physical books did really well in COVID. And yep. you know, particularly, you know, from an econ perspective, as we all know, um, but the share of market that's being taken by indies is now um, it's palpable, and um, you're going to see it grow exponentially over the next decade.
0: Thank you. Yeah. So, are, do you find is, is there a sweet spot on story length that you publish, you know, with audiobooks? Is
1: You know, if you're talking about Audible, um, you know, and because it's a credit usage model, you know, I subscribe for $15, um, you know, and I get that one credit per month. Right. um, You know, you get into this kind of credit worthiness consumer behavior. Now, Audible Plus, the lower uh, all-you-can-eat subscription tier is changing that, which is tremendous. We're huge fans of Audible Plus and, and think there's a massive opportunity for continued growth in long form and short form and podcasts inside of, of Audible Plus. But if you're talking about the traditional, you know, Audible premium plus credit model, length becomes an issue of creditworthiness. And depending on genre, you know, the lengths can vary. Obviously, romance, you can get away with, a, you know, a shorter book or mystery thriller. But in science fiction and fantasy, you kind of need to be up in that, you know, you need to be up in that 120,000 word range. You, know, you have to think about it in words, obviously, as an author, but think about the conversion of those words in audio. Call it, you know, 9,000 per hour, give or take. So you need to be north of 100,000 in order to have a sizable enough audiobook that that subscriber is going to feel is credit worthy to burn a mm-hmm. credit, right? Yeah. Particularly in science fiction to a lesser extent, well, and fantasy as well, and and to a certainly a lesser extent romance where lots of short form has thrived. Um, but it's an interesting question because I think, you know, outside of the Audible ecosystem, you know, that may not be the case long-term,
0: right? hmm Like you said with the Audible Plus. But yeah, I was just curious in that because I know you've got the big five slash now big four, you know, are going after they want one book from an author max maximum once a year i mean minimally once a year and no sorry maximum once a year and they once that 110,000, because they don't want to have too much paper coming from china to heat up their <laughs> what they've got set aside so there's a definite model that they've got which and some of the people you've you know that you've got here like even just with you know how i found out originally about um podium the, the quality of the products there was with uh craig Allenson I mean, he, he's got like, what, three books a year. He, when I talk to him, he, does, he publishes three books a year or he writes three books a year. And that's not something a traditional publisher is going to be interested in, in working with. So yeah.
1: just think about what you just said. It's so, so ironic, right? That the actual form and format of the, of the ultimate product is dictating to the storyteller how they should write. I know. Right? And I know I'm contradicting myself a little bit here, but that, that, that just doesn't make any sense, right? I mean it, it, people want you know to devour these stories when they get hooked. So right. why would I be constrained by the cost of the physical product to limit how I tell that story? I mean we have audiobooks that are 35 hours long, we have audiobooks that are 2 hours long, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously the longer the book, the more costly it is to produce. So you know, that, that therein lies the conundrum for any publisher, but you have to let the storyteller tell the story and you have to let the fans give the feedback and then you can kind of, um, adapt, right. um, Craig's done a, Craig's got a very specific methodical approach as do many of our authors. Once they, you know, get that secret sauce rolling, they're not changing the ingredients. Right. That's right. Um, I'm super excited for his new series, you know, which is coming out in August called Convergence, which is the first time that he's broken away from Expeditionary Force in a number of years. Um, so uh, we'll we, you know, get something we're really, going there.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's, we're really he, pumped he's up. He's got right. one book left in Expeditionary. He's got first yeah. he was saying was only 14 books, but then he said, okay, now I got 15. That comes out in December, and then that's that's it. It yeah,
1: all comes together. That's got to be a there. big culmination.
0: Oh, that that cliffhanger at the end of fourteen went. Oh my God! I can't, you know? <laughs> he's
1: I mean, very good at that.
0: Yeah, and, and I was, and
1: I think you know, hey, indie authors are really smart marketers, right? I think the romance genre has obviously always been the smartest because they were never, you know, successfully uh, embraced in traditional publishing. So they've always right. had to be more entrepreneurial, more creative. But the you know the serialized nature of uh, of the way authors are bringing content to market uh, now is so powerful especially when we think about streaming down the line and, um, you know, kind of per minutes, listen kind of models. Um, those cliffhangers are critical to keep people, you know, into the book for as long as you can, all the way to the end. Um, yeah. You know, the publishers are never going to let a book get sold, you know, only a piece of it once they want to sell the whole book. But some of these storytellers, they don't necessarily need to subscribe to that model. So when things move from downloads to streams in some of these environments and platforms, you'll see the indies even take more share. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, industry to be a part of over the next couple of years. A lot of movement.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we have this, I don't know if you're familiar with any of the books that we publish, but one of them, Battlefield Earth, that's 47 and a half hours. We had 67 actors in there. And right. um, that's been one of uh, Audible's best selling. I mean, it's again, it's one credit, so it's um, right. for a listener. It's just it really great value for them at for them Rocks, exactly, exactly. Right. So now on um, quality of, of storytelling, we've talked about that a little bit. So when someone gets a book to you, how much do you rely upon your own people to do copy editing to make it? Audiobook worthy versus the author has to get it to you in a perfect form.
1: It depends on the author, the stage of development. It t- depends on the deal that we've done with them. And many, you know, in many deals now we're doing all rights deals. So we're acquiring the rights to the ebook as well. And then as part of that, you know, we'll, we'll manage the copy editing and proofing and, you know, provide all those services. It just depends on how sophisticated um, the author has become when we enter into a partnership with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think one of the most amazing things about, you know, some of the greatest voice actors is their ability to kind of on the fly, kind of adapt to some of the, you know, some of the story, um, and do some of the editing and proofing uh, themselves, which is, you know, not something that we recommend or, yeah. um, or that we rely on them to do, but it, the talent, and this is the other thing I think that's so different when you're talking about taking a product from the written word to the spoken word, you're really talking about an actor who's bringing a story to life. And that actor isn't a production expense, right? They're in an investment in delivering the best quality of that story in that art form, right? It's not another format. It's a different art form. And so we've invested quite heavily, In our relationships with narrators, we launched a a, a division of the company called the Audio Collaborative. We've signed multi-year agreements with many of these narrators at higher rates than they're charging other publishers because we're working with them on developing their voice, their brand, their following, their impact on our works that we publish. And we're taking a disproportionate share of their time of their available time right. um, so that we can deliver them again and again and again on, on the series that are really popping. Bob's a great example of that. We have a deep right. relationship with, with Bob Bray and, and I've mentioned a few others at the top of our discussion, but we are huge believers in the, the ability of those performers, those voiced actors to drive box office, to drive ticket sales. and by changing that mindset and looking at it through a different lens you can also find room for success and if the audiobook somehow pops more than the ebook because the performer just did an amazing job then the author wins not only on the audiobook but it's going to lift the visibility and the credibility of the ebook as well and that's what's happened you know throughout the industry some authors do better in E than audio. Other authors do better in audio than E, but it's a combination of, of the two that can really bring rise um, to the rankings, the visibility, and ultimately the monetization of, of that author's works.
0: I get it. Now, do you ever do uh, multi-voice or are you strictly single yeah. voice? No, no,
1: we've, we've done, you know, full cast. We just released an amazing book called Wake, um, It's a graphic novel that Simon and Schuster had published a year ago and we published it on on Juneteenth and we brought a full star studded cast. We turned the graphic novel into a screenplay and then recorded it. Um, And so that was a full kind of audio drama. Um, We don't do that very often because economically it's more difficult. It's more costly. But Mm -hmm. in romance, we, um, we do dual and duets, um, you know, depending on the nature of the story. So we'll definitely do, you know, multicast when it's appropriate. It's a high desire among a lot of authors, but not a lot—not from a lot of <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Yes, yeah, funny and It's
0: like, yeah, I, I love multicast myself, but I talked to a lot of of uh, people, and they're just—they like the, you know, it started the traditional off with, my mom, with my mom reading to me or my dad reading to me, and that it worked then. It still works for me now. I just like the single reader and. Do you, have, do you ever do like what LA Theater Works does on doing theater type performances?
1: We, we haven't, but some of our staff have in, in prior lives. I mean, I think it's really interesting. I think, I think that's what's, what, what makes the industry so special right now in audio is that people are testing and iterating. We're, you know, the podcast arena and the audiobook arena are colliding. And I think the podcast industry has done a much better job early on in bringing more of a theatrical, more of a performance-based, more of a Hollywood approach mm-hmm. to delivering these stories, um, in the spoken word. I think publishers are now catching up to that. Again, different monetization models, different distribution models, but I think it's all about, you know, figuring out, um, the consumer behavior and reaction and stickiness and engagement levels behind these different formats. And, uh, and keep testing and iterating. That's the fun part. Is because it's audio, it's less expensive than video, um, mm-hmm. more expensive still than the written word, but <laughs> but, um, uh, but much less expensive than video. So you can really test and iterate much more um, aggressively than and then other uh, other content industries, content based you know base formats.
0: I get it. So the audio has been the fastest growing segment of publishing now for the last several years when I mean, you get the, oh, you know the uh the book scan reports come out and it just shows you know at the beginning of the the pandemic when it had the previous year it showed print and audio was actually down but then audio is the one that actually brought it up and yeah. put the national publishing up for i mean the the u.s publishing up while the other segments were down they just that was up so it has been um the fastest growing segment now how do you see the future rolling out and in what formats can we anticipate seeing the major growth in? Well,
1: I, I think audio is going to continue to outstrip the rest of the, the industry in terms of growth. You know, I made my comments earlier about print. Yeah. I think it, you know, I think, you know, there's going to be, you know, headwinds uh, in print, uh, in my opinion. Um, I think the ebook market um, will continue to see... Um, slow, mild, single digit growth. But I, what I really think is going to happen is you're going to see other platforms, other uh, places in which people are delivering new stories. And it's happening whether it's, you know, Tapas or Radish or, or Webtoon or Wattpad or Royal Road and Patreon. Um, our team spends a lot of time inside of Discord and Reddit and and, and understanding where fans are finding new stories and new content. So I think there's, you know, there's something to be said for those emerging platforms that are providing other uh, ways in which uh, storytellers can deliver their product and hopefully make a living. So this, I think the formats are, you know, are gonna continue to evolve and change. But for now, you know, Amazon is the dominant player and will continue to be the dominant player for the foreseeable future. And their growth internationally I think is going to open up more and more markets for indie storytellers in different cultures, in different languages, to find opportunities to self-publish. And so we're very focused on, on how do we replicate our model in other parts of the world? How do we accelerate um, our capability uh, so we can apply it um, to, the, you know, to the growth of Amazon that's happening all over, all over the world?
0: I get it. Do you, um Ever publish one of those things on those little round discs that used to be little tape, but now were uh, CDs? Do you ever? Yeah, we, we, we've not spent any time on it. There's still a
1: market, you know, for physical product. You know, obviously, the library market, you know, still um, buys a lot of product. And I know my colleague, you know, my, my friend of me, Josh Stanton at Blackstone, who's uh, an awesome leader in the industry, has done wonders in the physical Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in the physical audio space. So hats off to him. It's not been as a, you know, as a young company that's growing really fast, it hasn't been a focus of ours. And Josh and I've talked about, you know, should we license our, you know, rights to him so he can take care of it and manufacture and distribute it. And that's probably the right move. We just haven't gotten to it, to be honest. Um, Shame on us for not having the bandwidth, but we're, uh, we're moving pretty fast. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, this is good, because I'm going to be talking to Anthony Goffin uh, next month, or actually oh, later on this month, yeah, so uh, I'll be able to see it, well, yeah, this, no, this, this is what Scott said, well, yeah, they are, and I've known Anthony for many, many years from um, from his hash chat, and because uh, I was on the, uh, I was on the board of the Audio Publishers Association for half a dozen years or so, way back nice. when. Um, so, the reason why I asked that question about CDs is, you've got the various listening groups, you've got like the boomers, and then you've got, you know, you got your millennials and you got um, Gen Z. And as you go on down, there's different formats that they seem, I would think that they prefer to uh, enjoy their, their product in. Is that something that you've, does that bear out as, as a correct conclusion or not?
1: No, I think that's right. But I think we're in a mobile environment and we're in a, in a multitasking ADHD world. And I think the benefit of audio is, you know, in many ways, while so many people, you know, historically have listened to audio when they're traveling or commuting, I think it's really multitasking, right? Mm -hmm. You can be walking the dog, you can be folding the laundry, you can be prepping a meal for the kids. Um, There's so many things that you can do with just an earbud and your mobile phone in your pocket. So in my opinion, you know, digital formats are going to continue to grow at a much you know, more rapid pace than, than anything physical, that's for sure. And, and if you look at the demographics of, you know, adults under the age of 29 that have read an audiobook, read an ebook and listened to an audiobook in the past year versus boomers, it's night and day. I mean, the demographics, I mean, it's 80, 81% uh, under the uh, from 18 to 29 have listened to an audiobook or read an ebook uh, in the past year, and I'm going to quote it right now: 50 plus, 50 to 64, it's 50 percent, and if you go 65 plus, it's 30 percent. So just if you just look at the demographics alone, div- digital formats are going to win. And then you just think about mobile technology and everything in your yeah. pocket and people you know, being on the go of multitasking. That's where the game is. That's where that's where the market's shifting.
0: I get it. Do you ever use email marketing? All the time. You know, it's so funny,
1: you know, there was a point in time, and I've been, you know, kind of, a, you know, a digital and, and content marketer my whole career. There was a time when people poo-pooed email and said, it's done, it's over, there's too much spam, and, you know, we got to get mobile phones and and, uh, you know, we've we got to get people on social media. Email is circled back still to be one of the most powerful marketing tools. Obviously, we want people's credit cards, you know, depending on what kind of business model you're in. That's the holy grail, the mobile phone, the data, the, you know, the, the credit card. But man, email still works really effectively. Um, you know, if you can, you know, um, deliver the, you know, a more robust piece of content in email, then certainly more than you can in a text. Um, or a push notification from an app, um, and you can really hone those messages to get those open rates and click-through rates rocking. Um, still a very, very effective uh, marketing tool when you use it every day, all day.
0: I get it. So what have, have you found a thing that works the best for you on on building that email database, that accumulating those identities?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the great benefits of scale, right? And And why authors you know, benefit with, you know, being in a hybrid model with us. I'm going to sign my audio to Podium and then I'm going to still control and self-publish my ebook because if I can draft off of the scale of the organic audience that Podium has developed through their relationships with a thousand authors, that's going to help me on my ebook. And there's a lot of truth in that. We're aggregating fan bases, you know, at the, you know, kind of company level, on behalf of the company, but day in and day out, tactically, strategically, we're developing a fan base for the author. And then we're benefiting from that, uh, you know, as the company and the author's benefiting from that on their ongoing, um, their own database and their own fan following. Um, So we're big believers in that. And it's, uh, you know, it, it can be costly, it can be expensive and it can be a slow build, but it's invaluable over time
0: right so the way you actually get people to opt in you get people to opt into your database newsletters
1: come to the website obviously you know we're promoting um via social into our newsletters into live chats you know discord you know (laughs) you name it like any way we can get somebody to redirect and opt in to receive information from the company or from the author we're all over it and it can be expensive and you know when you do paid campaigns Um, but you find moments of efficiency where you can really win. Um, so we've been on a March, you know, to develop a really robust database that then we can bring forth to our authors to help market, you know, their works and help develop, you know, kind of pre-order demand, right? That Mm -hmm. upcoming release, what's next, what's new, what's coming, what do I want to save my credit for? What should I
0: be,
1: you know, what should I be watching out for? That's a big part of our marketing strategy and cadence in how we communicate to the fans
0: that's I think that's really important that again the people listening to this podcast is it is a team activity that's going to make you ultimately succeed and if you just I think if you're just trying to do it, I'm on my own here um, there are success stories obviously out there, but by and large is if you have someone like yourself at podium or it seems to be a bit more with the indies because they're i think they're a bit more uh, aggressive on uh on the marketing tactics and don't rely you know you got the the big battleships are going out there and they're just going they just figure anything gets in the way they just kind of like will move out and they just you're with them and then you're just gonna it's going to go that's not necessarily bearing up like it used to be um because of people's change of, of habits of consumption habits, you know? So I just think it's, it's important. Yeah.
1: I think that's right. It's an iterative process and it's an evolving landscape and what, you know, worked 18 months ago doesn't necessarily work today. Right. And that's why the community, that's why the community is constantly sharing information, you know, and talking to one another. I mean, I love talking to Jeff Cheney and Jason Ansbach, you know, two of our most successful indie authors who are amazing businessmen in their own rights. Um, Every time I talk to those guys, I learn something new or Bryce O'Connor at Wraithmarked or, or Rhett Bruno at Atheon or Dakota Crowd at Mountaindale. All these guys are super savvy, super successful indie authors that are, you know, are honing their craft and iterating and testing constantly on how they build audience and, and a loyal following. So it's a it's a remarkable industry. And uh, yeah, more bring more people into the
0: boat. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. It's it's <laughs> funny. I did my interview Tom Doherty, He created Tor yeah, uh, Publishing, yeah. and so I had him as a guest uh, a couple years ago. And I mean, when he started Tor in Tor, he picked it up because that was that would fit properly on the spine of a book. That's why he had, right. it. Just, you know, he picked that that logo and that that uh, name there. But just the, his what was happening back then in publishing versus you know what's happening right now is just getting the, the evolution of it. I've had a few interview, a few guests and they talk about just the history and the evolution of publishing and say, okay, it's over with, it's done now. And then it just, it comes up bigger and stronger. So it's just, it's really interesting in this. Now, one area that I'm not talking about, which I'm very interested in is the future of um, AI in recording audiobooks. books. Um, I mean, it's getting really good I don't know at what point it's going to be able to replace. But anyway, what's, your, what's your take on AI? And then we'll, we can also narrow down also with if you're a publisher in the United States, want to be able to publish foreign languages, if that's a, a viable resource.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the AI issue is a, you know, it's a controversial issue, right? And there's, sure. a lot of, there's a lot of differing opinions around it. I think the one thing that we can all agree on is it's coming, and it's coming fast. Right now, to what extent, to what extent it disrupts the market, you know, I think is a, you know, that's therein lies the debate. I think as a genre fiction publisher, particularly in science fiction and fantasy, where so many of the characters and the places and the names are not, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're made up, right? They're not real. It's very difficult to kind of, you know, to see AI, you know, delivering you know, at the level of efficiency that it's being purported and being marketed as in genre fiction. And then if you really think about emotion, you know, one of the most amazing things about the talented voice actors that we work with on a daily basis is their ability, you know, to deliver that performance and Mm -hmm. that emotion um, behind and create the suspense and the fear and and the heartache and the panic. It's just not there yet in AI. Now you, they can manipulate it over and over and over and over and over again to get it there to give you a sample that's comparable. But can they do it in a replicable, efficient manner that delivers what we already get at a, at a lower cost in a, in a, in a in, in, at a higher scale? It's not there yet. It could be there. It could. It's going to mm-hmm. come. Um, and I think SAG's being really smart to you know or. Our, our partners at SAG have done a great job of leaning into the dialogue, leaning into the conversation, um, which I think, you know, is, is the way that you need to uh, need, need to be. Don't resist the change. Um, lean into it and figure out how to make it work.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but for the time being, you know, for the foreseeable future, we're, we're investing more in uh, the development of star talent um, that we believe not only drives additional um, sales, but it it it's one of the key emerging trends in consumer behavior. You you follow you start following a narrator because man, this guy Heath Miller is amazing, or R.C. Mm. Bray, or you know Tim Gerard Reynolds, or Nick Bedell, or Luke Daniels. And you just keep going down the list. You know Andrea, who I mentioned early earlier, who's like our lit RPG star. Consumers are buying books now in many cases because they love the narrator and they say, Well, that narrator recorded that book, then that must be a pretty good book. Um, And so we're leaning heavily into that uh, development and marketing strategy. um, And we don't see that changing for a number of years.
0: Okay. Now, about, I don't know, maybe it's been 15 years now um, with the Audio Publishers Association. This is with uh, uh, Anthony Goff. We, We did a um marketing research uh one of those um you're behind the 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 double glass window you know the see-through window and you can see people they were testing audios and one of the things that came up um which at the time was a bit scary for me because i do high-end audiobooks um that are real quality put a lot of attention on the quality of the recording quality of the production and these guys are used We're used to listening to audiobooks on their car radio you know that level of an audio uh, right. reproduction. So it right. didn't matter to them that it was a really high quality thing because they couldn't tell the difference, you know, on, uh, on doing these high end things. There's like, uh, I didn't hear it, you know, so are you going after a specific market or is it just now because the quality of the, of the, uh, boom boxes that they used to go around with, you know, 20 years ago now is high quality production and the earbuds you get are such higher quality that you don't have that much of a, of a concern over it because my concern was that you've got some people and it's going to be also with, with an author with no budget who's going to go after the cheapest way that he can get his story onto an audiobook versus someone yeah. that wants to have I mean, quality. I think it,
1: com- it comes through on the rating reviews. You know, you see it right when it's poor quality production, the fans, you know, rip into it. Right. You know, mm-hmm. we've had problems in post sometimes where you have to go back and re-record something and fix something and, you know, you know, upload a new version of the book you know, and give new metadata to Audible. It happens. But I think, you know, we're, we believe in high quality content in every format. Um, we are a premium publisher. Now, traditional publishers may chuckle at that because we're largely indie, but uh, just look at our numbers and look at our growth and look at our market share. And it's because we're delivering great quality product and consumers are devouring it. And that's, that's the telltale uh, sign. You know, are you, are you posting wins on the board and we're doing it every day? Um, you know, it's funny. One of our biggest audiences are truck drivers. And so I oh, don't, you know, they're,
0: they're awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Because they, they listen, listen to a ton of books, right. It keeps mm-hmm. them engaged. Um, and uh, you know, so it's interesting, you know, that, you know, when you, when you harken back to the days of, you know, cassettes and, and the, and the, and the like, Everything's through the mobile phone now and through high quality earbuds. So I think sound design and uh, special effects and, are, you know, really important points of, of trying to bring these stories to life. You just got to pick mm-hmm. and choose when you're going to uh, use them and when you're, not, when you're you know, not going to. And sometimes it's about investment, right?
0: Right. So now for someone to be able to is it advisable for somebody just to go to podium.com to find out what you got, or they just then go to Audible and just you're going to find the top 30% of your audiobooks? Yeah, I mean, you can, search, yeah, you can Podium.
1: Yeah, you know, everything's on PodiumAudio.com. Uh, Every book that we publish is there. Um, okay, so PodiumAudio.com. Yeah, PodiumAudio.com. And, and obviously, you can do it inside of Amazon as well, um, and you'll see our top sellers. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think we're well north of uh, you know, 3,000 titles in our catalog. As I said, we've, uh, you know, we've got a thousand authors um, in, this, in stable now and we're growing like a weed and hiring people <laughs> and adding more staff. And so we're having fun. We've got a great, there's a great culture at Podium, a great vibe. Um, and, and it's really all about being, you know, singularly focused and consistent on our model. And that's helping uh, provide the best quality services to emerging and existing successful authors. Um, we're doing a lot of agent and deals, a lot of, uh, deals out of, out of, out of New York with, um, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of Donald mass and jank And, you know, you, you, keep going down, you know, literary, uh, or, you know, row we're, we're in the middle of it, but, um, but our core is, is remaining true to the independent market. And that's where we really see the opportunity.
0: That's great. Well, this has been amazing. I mean, this hour went really fast like I know it would. So it's been great talking to you, and I really appreciate uh, this opportunity. Thank and, you, John. Uh, I
1: really appreciate the time. It was uh, it was lovely. Uh, I loved uh, learning a little bit more about your background and your history, too. That was fun.
0: Great. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers to Feature podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. Writers and illustrators of the future are a contest created by Oren Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Scott.
1: Thanks, John. Really appreciate the time.